Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to Sofa Cinema Club. I'm Colton Smith and as always I'm joined by... Jack P. Shepard. Ben Van Sant. Ooh, oh, hello. That's it's good. good. It's good. The Sofa Cinema Club is our podcast where we get together to educate each other on films. Now, it's all about the films we should have seen, but we haven't. Each week, we set a film for each other to watch, and then we come into the studio and we talk about what we loved, hated, and rated. Now, the beauty of our film club is that anyone can join in. All you have to do is watch along with the film at home and then join us every Thursday to find out what we thought of the film. This week's film is Heat and it has been chosen by you guys at home in the audience pick. But before we start talking all things Heat, as always, how has your week been? Well, that's a load of shit. You set that up like (laughs) there's only one question. How was your week, Colson? My week, Ben... Hasn't been bad. It's been all right as Look my at that. I mean, that is a trophy. That's not a Timpsons there, is it? It eclipses the other trophy, doesn't it? Oh, he shits on the other trophy. Look at that. Beautiful. So just tell us, your club won what? We are the champions of Yorkshire. That's brilliant. Well done, Coles. I'd said last time, didn't I, that we had the big final at Headingley on Saturday. And Saturday came, it was the big final day. And yeah, we won. Battered them, close. Close, Jack, last was last it? over. So who's your lad again? Chesney? It, it was Chesney who bowled the last over, yeah. Chesney again. Very good player. Is that his real name or nickname? His real name's Chesney. His nickname is Seabank. Good nickname, that, isn't it? Not quite sure what the nickname means, though. Seabank. <laughs> and you see other people look at you weirdly when it's like, oh, Seabank, and he responds to it. Very good under pressure. It's the last over. They need nine. Mm. Basically, without having to like explain the whole rules of cricket, we had to defend. So, Jack, we got 241 <laughs> runs, okay? Mm. Mm. And big. in the last over... <laughs> As if you know. <laughs> in the last over, they needed like eight or something like that. First ball went for one. Second ball went for four, so it was close, like they were going to do it. Then the last four balls went for one run. 
So, like, we defended it, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Wasn't phased. Span it in. He's a spinner, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Left arm spin. I mean, he's not the only player, Ben. No, but he's literally, Colson, the only player I've watched. So he is to me. There is only one person on that team. It's Chesney. I, I do get that in the last two weeks, you've been shown two videos, both of Chesney, and he is very good in both of the two videos. Some very good action photos, Jack. Very good from the newspapers. Very good. It was a big event, Jack. About a thousand people there. Massive. A hundred thousand people. One million people. <laughs> Nebworth. We now have the title of the champions of Yorkshire. We're the best teams in Yorkshire. So where do you go from here? Is it a retirement now? No, I, 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 I wish, I, but I feel like... <laughs> I wish. I wish I no. could retire, but they... <laughs> they need me. I do feel like the club is very reliant on a few people and as long as the few people are still willing to work together. I hope that we have many years of being successful. But I think for now, it's like I touched on last time, myself and Wayne, as we had a bit of a five-year plan, this was our fifth year and it has come together perfectly. Like you couldn't have, literally, we wrote on the back of a fucking Nando's menu what we wanted to achieve over five years. It's graffiti. (laughs) (laughs) Spicy rice, (laughs) halloumi, and butterfly chicken. And all of those, we got them to the table. We we wrote what we wanted to achieve, and we've hit every single one of those goals. You know, and the last one, obviously, being... was only to win the league. It wasn't to win it all. No one could have foreseen that. Champions of Yorkshire. But we cocked up, because I said to Ben, I said it would have been the best document ever oh and you didn't film it I'd said I was going to hadn't I but you didn't (laughs) but you didn't it just didn't feel like it was going to happen no one could have seen that Colson no one could have seen that it is like a big underdog story like it's you know hard work pays off and so now it's it's back to the old drawing board and it's um probably make another three or five year plan of what what we do next where we go next I guess the good news for you two is you, you've you've now got me back. We've got happy calls. No, the good news for me was I got into the lift and there he was smiling. The bad news would have been a good two to three, no longer until the season started again of Grumpy Colson. It would have been a big, big paddy. Like it would have been hard work. Like I can't, I, I, Ben texted me and was like, how are you feeling? And I literally said, it's the best day of my life. It's not Florida Christmas Day, is it? 2009. No. But yeah, so the good news is I am back and now my affiliations, my efforts are 100% into Sofa Cinema Club right at the end of the series. (laughs) Right when it matters. Yeah. Jack? I can't top that. I can't top that. However... Animal Encounter, again. Oh, yes. Boom. Yes, this this is the podcast about Sofa Animal Encounter Club. It's ridiculous. What happened? I've got the kids at the weekend, and uh, I go across to my sister's over in Yorkshire, and she's got chickens. These are new. She's got, like, six of them. They've also got, get this, electric fence. Keep Mr. Fox out. Yeah, yeah. So what do the kids do with electric fence? touch it they just have to touch it <laughs> they have to touch it so they're just doing they're going up to it i mean it's not exactly a jurassic park yeah but i think they're quite clever electric fences aren't they because it's not all the time the current no. 
no. so sometimes they touch you go oh there's nothing that yeah a little oh goes through the body <laughs> and then it's like one kid touches and grabs on and another kid touches the other kid <laughs> Were there no adults there going, maybe don't, maybe don't do that? Oh, we that. were just watching. <laughs> we were just watching. Some parents take their kids to, like, Flamingo Land or and Towers. You go, this is it. You're going to have the best Sunday of your life. Welcome to the theme park of Electric Fence. So, my sister's got three kids. Isaac, Charlie, and James. And they've all got two chickens each, right? Charlie is the youngest. He's, like, three. And they've all got to name their own individual chickens. So Charlie has named his chickens Charlie 1 and Charlie 2. Perfect. (laughs) You'll go far. Right. So I'm outside and all of a sudden I'm looking, I'm going, where's Charlie 1? Charlie 1's gone. He's not here. Can't find him anywhere. All of a sudden, shout from the house, Charlie Human has taken Charlie 1 inside. He's snuck him in. And he's gone upstairs in his mum and dad's room. Shit, chicken shit all over the bedroom. <laughs> and go upstairs. Charlie One's just flapping around the bedroom and there's shit all over the place. And Charlie's just going, he wanted to come in. Oh, God. Chickens do like coming in the house. When we had them, they used to tap on the door. And, like, if you left the door open, you'd come in and they'd be in. Like, I remember once coming downstairs and there being a chicken on the arm of the sofa. They just roam around, don't they? As they walk, they just shit. Oh, <laughs> so you can't get rid of that, can you? And it smells and it's sloppy. <laughs> the worst kind. No, what it is, it's not like a hard. It's just sort of like, as soon as you wipe it, it just smudges into carpet. Yeah, and it becomes more and more. As animal encounters will know, that's a smear shit. That's the <laughs> yeah. one you don't want. You don't want no. the smear shit. You want the very dry, all-in-one dog shit bag there we go away we go a little rabbit pellet no harm done no so that obviously went down like a lead balloon did charlie start crying when he realized no he wasn't asked he just thought it was funny so there we go what a week we've had everything in there sporting achievement champions of yorkshire we've had chicken shit when you say it like that what a podcast and you can join us back here next week on thursday good night (laughs) (laughs) big stuff and speaking of big stuff heat which is a big film which is what you guys at home picked for us to watch this week as always on our listeners choice we get one of you to do the synopsis for us and this week on the podcast we are welcoming mitchell hone Hello lads, my name's Mitch and thank you so much for choosing Heat for your podcast. It is a truly underrated classic that's about a professional criminal, Nick, played by Robert De Niro, who is planning one final robbery before retiring for good. This grabs the attention of the other main character, Lieutenant Detective Hannah, played by Al Pacino. The two of them realise how similar their lives are but due to their professionalism, they vow to bring each other down. And all the action and drama all leads up to an intense showdown. So yeah, that's a basic synopsis. Hope you enjoy. Very good. He's got in there and he's got out quick. Very enthusiastic, very excited. He's done a good job, I think. What a voice for a podcast, by the way. Yeah. It's like me on episode one, that, isn't it? Hello. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Sofa Cinema Club. <laughs> he did a good job. 
He knew what he yeah. was doing. He yeah. knew the score. I'm in and out. Bing bang. But pretended like he didn't as yes, well. Like, I so like yeah, that. that's a basic synopsis. Very good. He gave it the attitude of, well, I'm just going to throw this together, but actually knew exactly what he yeah, was yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. That's the art of a great synopsis. Very similar to how Jack does it. Yeah, it yeah, might yeah. sound like he hasn't prepared it, but he really has. He did very well. Very well. Very good from Mitchell. And I think it does sum up what he is all about, doesn't it? Yeah. So the first character we meet is... Who do we meet first, actually? <laughs> I knew you were going to say. I like that. It's good intro. Very good. It's De Niro. We meet De Niro first. Yeah. And it, they're sort of doing the first sort of score, aren't they? They're, they're, they're on the way to try and do the, f- the first takedown. And you see them in sort of like paramedic sort of like uniform. Yes. Don't you think, oh, what's going on here? Getting off the train and whatnot. And... Um, yeah, and it's it, you seem like, oh, this is a professional crew. They know what they're doing. Everything's sort of thought of to the inch. Do you know what I mean? There's no room for error. They're all sort of like interlinked. And then we meet this Wayne Grow character who's sort of new to the crew. It gets picked up in the dumper truck. That's the, that. I mean, straight off. I'm sure at some point there would have been an explanation to why they hire him. But I thought De Niro's character is so precise. Why would you have him? They're a man short, obviously, for some reason, aren't they? And he's probably been picked for the crew by that Nate, who's played by John Voight. Oh, no, hold on. He did... He was in... Wasn't he in prison with Tom Sizemore or something? That's what comes out at the end. Right. Anyway, Wayne Grove is not as professional as the other. Val Kilmer, Bobby De Niro, Tom Sizemore... John Voight's kind of like the fixer, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, they execute this heist, basically, and they're sort of stealing some sort of bonds and stocks or something, aren't they? Barrow bonds, which are basically the equivalent of the money. They're always going to be cashed in, but it's a drug dealer's money, isn't it? Mm. Um, Is it that they're on the stock market or something, and if if they sort of steal them, they're insured by the bank so that they'll get the 100% insurance back, but then they can... They'll also get the bond back and be able yeah. to resell it. Anyway, everybody earns money from it, basically. And they set up this heist to basically sort of jackknife with a truck, the secure van that's carrying these bonds. They crash the car, crash the van, they get in, they get the bonds. And then Wayne Grove, just out of nowhere, just decides to execute one of the guards, doesn't he? For no reason, it seems. Well, it's odd, isn't it? Because... Obviously, like you've said, Jack, the first impression that you get is that they're very professional. They're very good at their jobs. They're slick. Their timing is on it. Their teamwork, their calm, their communication. When that truck hits that van, they know exactly what they're doing. They're in, they're out. Mm. When he's searching for stuff, he's not bothered about the money that's dropping on the floor. They're only after their one piece of information. And obviously, they've got all the guards lined up and they've got the getaway vehicle waiting. And because they've blown up the back of the truck... They've obviously deafened, like partially deafened all of the guards, haven't they? Mm. And when they're telling the guards to get on the floor and he doesn't respond, one of the characters turns around and goes, he can't hear you. But that's a very clever bit, isn't it? Yeah. That shows their experience. They've done it so many times and that's where he doesn't know. Look, they'll never hear you. You've blown their eardrums. And he, you know, it's just a rush of blood, isn't it? And he shoots him, which... Well, I don't know. I think he's Mm. a bit of a psychopath. Because later on he kills that girl. I mean, it's clear 
that it's not just about money. It's about the rush. And it's yeah. clear, like, for all of them, they have that rush. So Val Kilmer's a, a gambler. Tom Sizemore character said, look, it's not about the money, it's the rush. And even De Niro's character at the end, he could have left it all, and he doesn't. Well, they all get the opportunity to leave it, don't they? But, you know, they, they don't because the reason they do it is because they enjoy doing heists. But, yeah, so, obviously, this first heist, they've they've killed three people, haven't they? They they leave the scene and, again, because they're so organised, it's perfectly executed. The vehicle's been blown up, they've got away with it, and they're done for good. And it's at this point where we meet the almost chief investigator, isn't it, of the LAPD, who is Al Pacino. Which, in context, Colson, this film is huge because it's the first time you get De Niro and Pacino against each other, screen together. Pacino looks fucking mint. He does look cool, doesn't it? So much cooler than De Niro as well. By no, the way. no, 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 no. I no, said no. this to Jack and I could tell he didn't like it when I said no, you've it. you've lost your head. You've lost your head. I think he's the cool one. I have to say it. No. I think Al Pacino no. is the cool one. You're wearing one. a cap backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I think the argument started and finished. De Niro looks fantastic. He's in a suit all the time, which I love. Pacino had just had a facelift when he did this film. Had he? Yeah. He was about 55 years old. He had a facelift. Yeah, yeah. He just had one just before filming. Wow. If you think of all the shots, they're massive close-ups. Yeah. Massive close-ups on these guys. And De Niro's what? Is De Niro probably about 10 years younger? 52, I think. De Niro was. Yeah. Are they similar age then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed he always wears grey suits? They did that so that he just always seemed to blend in. Ah. And you wouldn't really notice him. That's why. Whereas Pacino's got like the Italian, the black, the silk. Looked cool. Um, one thing we learned straight away is as good at De Niro is at doing heists, Al Pacino is as good at catching bad people. Because the minute he's on that scene, he's in control, isn't he? And he, he's trying to find out his leads. Well, it's that speech that he does when as soon as he gets on the crime scene. Everybody seems to be stood around with a dick in their hands and not really knowing what's gone on. And he turns up and he goes, right, this is a brilliant spot. They've got freeways here. He's coming. They've got the um, spikes to lay down. And he went, these guys know exactly what they're doing. He paints the whole picture of knowing everything. He's like, check the cameras. They're probably dead anyway. Run slick as an alias. Do all that. Find out the explosives for the ambulance. Find out where the van got stolen from, when it got stolen. Like, he, he covers every basis, doesn't he? And it's kind of that bit of, you know, whatever steps they take, he wants to understand how they've taken the steps. Which side are we on? Well, I'm Pacino, I've said. You're Pacino. PC Tinker and Al Pacino would be great in the LAPD together. Woo! And me and Shepard are De Niro and Kilmer. I, don't, I quite like Tom Sizemore in it as well. Yeah, he's kind of off, isn't he? He's kind of off, but also level-headed as well at the same time. Like, he wants to be as professional as De Niro, doesn't he? Yeah. And he almost can be. For some reason, I get from it that De Niro, he doesn't get excited... His heart rate doesn't go up. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. literally mm. the same all the time. Yeah. He's been told, hasn't he, by someone, it's a kind of apocryphal kind of story, don't get close to anything you can't leave within 30 seconds. Yeah. And that's how he lives his life. Very similar to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the biggest lead they have is that the homeless man who was a witness, he kind of picked up the name. Homeless guy. 
Real homeless guy. Mint. Producers were looking for the location for the heist. And that homeless guy was there when they turned up and they were looking at it. And he came over and he was asking him what they were doing, blah, blah, blah. And they went, oh, we're going to be making a film, what not. And he was just sort of like there. And he was there when they started shooting. And like Michael Mann was just chatting to him and he went, do you want to be in it? Isn't that cool? I get the feeling that Michael Mann shoots very much like he's been around a long time by this time. By the time he shot Heat, he shot a lot of movies. He's very at home with what comes to him. You can imagine that it's not all laid out like that. The homeless man, his shots are so beautifully picked all close and then all very wide he seems to love LA yeah um, god that'd be mint wouldn't it do you want to be in a movie yeah so they've, they've got a lead haven't they they've got something to go off and it kind of means that they are on the tail of De Niro and his gang you are on the tail of me and Jack do you know why I am the coolest not just because of the clothes that I wear <laughs> everywhere I go I'm in a helicopter he goes from his wife like he'll be with his wife one minute and then the next minute he's going somewhere and he's in a helicopter like it's on the driveway yeah but Michael Mann wants those big shots of LA yeah and I guess he wants the feeling of it being a big blockbuster all guns blazing sort of film doesn't he big city yeah and then what he tries to weave in after the initial kind of bank robbery, you start going into the characters' lives, don't you? I really liked that, how it's sort of like, you see what's going on with Pacino and how his life's completely screwed and fallen apart because all he does is the job. He can't switch off the job. And she's like, why don't you come on? Why don't you... Sh-? When you bought into this relationship, you knew I did this and you were going to have to share me. And she went, yeah. I was going to have to share you. I'm not sharing you. You're literally at the job. You come home. You don't say anything. We sleep together. You go. So it's not a relationship. And he's like, what am I meant to share? Some crackhead put their baby in a microwave. How am I meant to start talking about that? Why am I going to start talking about that? I thought it was brilliant dialogue. Because you can see both sides. Yeah. I com- I'm completely with you on this bit. I loved finding out more about Pacino and De Niro. And we have it with, you know, as Jack said, we already know Pacino's in a relationship. De Niro meets the girl in the bar and it kind of goes from there. And we get to learn how similar their characters are and how similar their lives are, but also how completely different they are at the same time. Well, then you see De Niro's house on Malibu and there's no furniture. It's such a brilliant way of just saying the guy just is completely, literally could close that door and he goes. Mm. And I suppose, you're, like what you're saying, Pacino's the same. It's not even his house. The thing that really lost me mm. is the guy who gets arrested in Las Vegas. I don't understand their connection to the film. My girlfriend got confused with this bit. She thought he was a butcher. I didn't think he was a butcher. Where'd you get that from? She went, I heard he was a butcher. I went, no, no one ever said that. Ever. (laughs) Do you want, what do you want? Four chops (laughs) and some (laughs) mints. Yeah, don't mess with me now. I'm just in Vegas. I'm doing a heist. She was like, rewind it. I'm not rewinding it to find nobody saying the word butcher. (laughs) I went, he's not. He's having an affair with Val Kilmer's wife. Yeah. Which is Val Kilmer? Blonde ponytail. So is Van Kilmer's wife the blonde girl that's in hiding at the end? Yeah. So there's a scene where Bobby De Niro, so Val Kilmer wakes up, 
having had a row with his wife in Bobby De Niro's house. And then he says, what's going on? He said, well, I'm an argument with my wife. Are you playing around? He said, well, yeah, but nothing serious. Is she? And he goes, no, no, she isn't. And then you see Robert De Niro doing that phone call. And then he looks over at the hotel and sees that she's having an affair with that guy. So where are we now? We've seen a bit of everyone's life, haven't we? Didn't really see much of Tom Sizemore's life. Val Kilmer's a gambling addict. So he has to stay in to pay off his gambling debts. De Niro has got this fantasy about moving to New Zealand and living this amazing life. Uh, Pacino's just stuck in that machine of being a kind of vigilante cop. Well, he won't stop. He'll rather his relationship end. Yeah. He has no other life. I mean, even when Natalie Portman slashes her wrists at the end, he's still eager to leave the hospital and go and catch De Niro. Yeah. There's a really clever part in the film, isn't there, where De Niro works out that the LAPD are on to them and the gang and stuff is starting to happen in after we've seen various stakeouts and we've seen that they've learned more and more about them. They kind of get the address, don't they, for this... Um, it's like a docks, is it, kind of area? Yeah, well, they need to break into the computer system first to then break into this bank. And that was the idea. So it's it's basically, yeah, like an industrial estate, isn't it? Because that's really clever with the heat sensor. Yeah, yeah, and the way he shoots De Niro comes out the building, he comes into light, and De Niro just folds into darkness. I just thought, what a fucking great bit of filmmaking. Brilliant. Brilliant. It just, and he disappears. And then they use a heat sensor to see where De Niro's looking. That soldier, SWAT team soldier, hits the side of the van and he says, it's busted, go. And he just fucking knows. Yeah, I'm like, that's great. That was a really good bit of the film. The the bit that I like, see, is when Al Pacino stood in the middle of like those docks and they're going, I don't get why we're here. I don't get what we're looking for. Mm. And he goes, oh, these guys are smart. Who's following us? They're, they're looking yeah. at us. We're not here to find something out. We're here so they can find out everything about us. And De Niro is up a crane, isn't he, with his camera, snap, snap, snapping away to find out who it is that he's dealing with. So they're basically deciding they've got one big heist left in them, haven't they? Mm. And it's whether they go for the big heist at the end. And Pacino knows... Pacino's banking on almost their addiction to doing this heist. Because they probably could walk off now. Yeah, because they haven't got them. Yeah, they haven't, got, they haven't got them for anything. And at this point, De Niro and Al Pacino have met, haven't they? No, this is when they meet. He pulls him over, doesn't he? They've got surveillance on them all. Yeah. And they, on his car, and he pulls him over the side of the road. He gets the blues and twos on. Yeah. He goes in his helicopter, lands on top of the roof, then gets in a car. <laughs> <laughs> That is, yeah, again, why does he do that? Why does he go from a helicopter to a car? Because he just wants to pull him over, doesn't he? He pulls him over, and De Niro just calmly just pulls over to the side of the road, and Pacino, without giving him any bullshit, because he knows he knows who he is, and he just says, want to get a cup of coffee? And De Niro's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go have that chat. Why not? You've got nothing on me. Yeah. You can't arrest me for anything yet. Let's just go size each other up and just have a conversation with each other, just as professionals. Good scene, that, isn't it? Because you realise that they both actually quite like each other. This scene that was written was what uh, tied De Niro to the script. He signed on to do the film because of this scene. What, in the coffee shop? Yeah. Me and Ben were talking about this scene today, and we had to stop talking about it because we, didn't, we wanted to talk and digest 
the whole scene and the film and everything on this podcast. And we were wondering how long it took to film, like three days, a whole day or whatever. They didn't rehearse it, Ben. They didn't rehearse the scene once. They just did two cameras, one on De Niro, one on Pacina and went action. They both agreed that we would not rehearse or run the lines just so that the other one would not know what the other one was going to do. The way they've constructed the restaurant, like it's busy, it's packed. You really believe they're in there having this chat. And that is a monumental scene. Well, they were. They're all real staff. Oh, are they? They're real staff of the diner. Well, that really works. It worked really well. That was a huge scene when it came out, Colson. Huge. That was probably you know one of the best scenes for me because it kind of what the kind of impression that you get is De Niro's really cool and really good at heists and Al Pacino's really cool and really good at catching people like that's kind of the impression you get isn't it and Mm. the whole film's like a cat and mouse chase and then they come head to head which most films don't do until the end would they and this is like smack in the middle of the film they're coming head to head and you kind of just get the feeling that they both have a mutual respect for each other when they and and the fact they shouldn't because one one is a good guy and one is a bad guy so they should hate each other but they kind of don't but then there's that last bit of when they both kind of say look if it comes to it it fucking comes to it yeah they'll shoot each other yeah after you've got after halfway midway through the third act you'll have a bump you'll have a, something, a setback or a character will set back to then push on to the end. And that's what he creates in that scene, a bump where you stop and they go, right, it's the rocky moment, it's on. I'm going to go for it, you're going to go for it. And it pushes, I think that's when the film really, really pushes on brilliantly towards the end. We're going for it. I'm going to do the, I'm going to rob the bank and you're going to try and stop me. Well, that's kind of the start of the last heist, isn't it? That's kind of where they set, you know, De Niro leaves that and he's like, look, boys, if we're doing this, we're doing it and we're doing it soon. Um, through Wayne Grove, they know where the bank is going to be at the end, don't they? They know what bank they're going to do. You know that guy who plays Wayne Grove? Yeah. You know, he actually got convicted of a crime and went to prison. And all the inmates and the screws of the prison, they all called him Wayne Grow. That was his nickname. <laughs> Went to prison for like two years. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's funny. He in effect grassed him up, didn't he? Yeah, he grassed Well, he goes to... When they steal the Barrow Bonds, he goes to the guy who had the Barrow Bonds and says, I'll give you them. And in the end, he gets... He gives one of the gang rats on them as well, doesn't he? Okay. Danny... Yeah. Treasure... Because they get him as well, don't they? Yeah, they get him and his wife. I love that. Danny Trejo's the actor. They just called him Trejo in the film. <laughs> Brilliant. Good on him. Like, what are we going to call it? Which is your name? But it's actually technically a true story. This film. Michael Mann. He knew a chief detective from Chicago, and his whole sort of career was sort of like spent chasing this one guy called Neil McCauley, who's the same real name as De Niro. Oh my and he used goodness. to go after him all the time from, for heists, and they both did have this mutual respect for each other. God, how cool. Yeah. This kind of has to be sort of the premise that they have based games like Grand Theft Auto on, hasn't it? Surely. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's, uh, I mean, that was all of those kind of films. It's always got the bank raid. Definitely is Grand Theft Auto, isn't it? Yeah, when they—that's a very, very, very famous bank raid shot because it's real. There's no CGI. And isn't that the one where, that they've used in training videos since for bankers of how to react if you're involved in a robbery? No, not bankers, marines. For if you're boxed in and there's people shooting at you from both sides. How do you get out as a team? How do you shoot your way out? And it is used as a training video for Marines. Is it? From the robber's perspective, being the Marines, shown as like a training video for how to... I mean, Val Kilmer does this reload action with his um, his M16 at one point, And that's shown as a training thing. Imagine being Val Kilmer and going, yeah, from what I did in a the film, they showed to Marines on how to train them. <laughs> Isn't that cool? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. The way I arrest people on the street, the police have now done the training video. The bank robbery scene for me is is arguably one of the best bits in the film. For my girlfriend, it was the worst. What? She went, they didn't have a clue what they were doing. It seemed like the heist at the beginning, they were all professional, they knew exactly what they were doing, the time and everything and blah, blah, blah. And that, they just all went to shit and they just shot the way out. No, but that's only because it went wrong. If they hadn't been grassed up, they would have got away with it. Sizemore's the first, isn't he? He sits in there with his massive bag of money going, fucking hell, I can't believe we've pulled this off. Mm. Then De Niro's in there and it's the last man that kind of gets caught and that's when all guns start blazing, isn't it? Kilmer doesn't hesitate. Kilmer's character does not hesitate. They're all shooting their way out. That's the only way it's going to go. How Michael Mann directed it, he wanted all the police to have their guns on semi-automatic. So it'd just be like two spurts, two bursts of a round because they'd be worried about pedestrians, whereas all the villains, they're just fully automatic. They're uh, just guns. Clever. Uh. And that noise from the, the M16s, it was real while filming it. So it's obviously they're not real bullets, but it wasn't... Um, ADR on top of. So that was a noise in the streets. It's the noise in the streets that you hear so that you get that sense of it being real. I fired a gun, a little mini machine gun on a TV show and they said, oh, go and have a practice. Go upstairs in this office block and have a practice. And it is so loud. Mm. Absolutely piercing. So that makes, it does, it does set you back because there's, there's a recoil and the air gets pushed out even if you're firing a blank. They went through 800 to 1,000 rounds per take. Oh, wow. I mean, they just shot up all of LA. So by per take, Jack, do you reckon they're shooting from them getting out of the car to them exiting? Well, take is, take is whatever this shot is, isn't it? There must have been loads of takes on that. Yeah. Because you focus on Kilmer, that's one camera. De Niro, one camera. Sizemore, one camera. Police, one camera. Then you flick back to Pacino. Yeah, so, I mean, as in, on that scene, you're talking about tens and thousands of rounds of bullets. Gotcha. Take after take after take, because the coverage on it is unreal. Well, that's taken days and days oh, and yeah. days. Oh, God, yeah. God, yeah. It's huge. That whole scene is huge. And they do kind of shoot their way out of it, don't they? But they're in, they're split. So they're in a group of two and a group of one, aren't they? Mm. The driver's been shot. Val Kilmer's character's been shot. Val Kilmer's been shot and is being carried by De Niro. Sizemore's kind of gone left. They've kind of gone right. And there's the bit where Al Pacino is only bothered about one man. And that is 
De Niro in it. He wants to catch him. But he ends up chasing Sizemore, doesn't he? Yeah, because he slips away, doesn't he? And he kind of comes from behind on Sizemore, who is holding a child at a hostage. And he kind of, like he says, you know, he doesn't flinch. And if it means hurting someone else but getting the bad guy you know so he takes the shot when he's got a kid doesn't he well it talks about earlier in the film that they've both got marine training because De Niro has that tattoo that eagle holding the globe or something which is a famous marine tattoo on his chest and you see when they're going through the surveillance on Pacino the detective and his history they see that he's he's been in the forces that's how he's able to get that crack shot when Sizemore turns around, he hit him square between the eyes. That was the one bit I was thinking, Oof. Oh, you wouldn't risk that. You wouldn't take the shot, would you? No, no. He said he'd do anything to stop anyone, didn't he? Yeah, but you're not going to shoot a kid. <laughs> I'll do anything. Hold on. I shot the child, then I shot the baddie. He'd do anything to shoot De Niro, but, he, but when he shot that, when he shot Sizemore, I'm like, that's a hell of a risk. Mm. Good scene, though. Very good to show how bad that sizable character had gotten desperate. Good scene. And I guess now the kind of thing is, obviously, De Niro's got a concern for the health of his remaining gang members, hasn't he? Well, there's only Kilmer, isn't there? Yeah, but his other concern is there's a lot of heat on him. And that's kind of been the theme of the film, hasn't it? Of When there's heat on you, what are you prepared to do? And he kind of understands that it's probably time for him to get out of the game and oh yeah he has to go he's got he's got a few hours left in the city before and that's the interesting bit where Pacino almost gives up doesn't he Pacino knows that almost says that's it he's gone Mm. he'll get a new way of getting out he's not going to go for anyone he's gone he rings John Voy up doesn't he and kind of I need a way to get out I need my exit strategy I need a plane I've got the money I've got this and he he wants to take his new girlfriend with him doesn't he but obviously the suspicions as to the fact that he's not a pen salesman. Yeah. No, what is he? Metal. It's metal salesman. Yeah. Me- metal, metal salesman. salesman. Yeah. And the, the fact there's two, there's two bits he hasn't cleaned up. The guy in the gang who uh, ratted on them and then Wayne Grove. Yeah. There's, there's those two and John Voigt mentions he knows where they both are. He goes to one guy's apartment and he says, I know where Wayne Grove is in the hotel. And that's the bit that really infuriates me in the film. Why does he turn around? He's home free. He knows he's home free. He talks to his girlfriend about how he's home free and he gets greedy, doesn't he? But no, I think that's the point. I think that's the point. Is they're all... Mental. No, they're addicted to that chase that... It's not about getting away with it. It's about actually being in it, almost. They go back in again and again and again, and it's the hunt which excites them, not really the reality of living in New Zealand with your girlfriend with a few million in the bank. Mm. He goes to the hotel, doesn't he, where they the, the address that he's been given. I love how he gets in the hotel. So do he I. He goes in via the service entrance, yeah. doesn't he? And I love that he puts that navy suit on yeah. and is dressed as a security guard. I love the bit where he rings up and says, hi, it's room service. Yeah, brilliant. So-and-so ordered a sandwich, but I can't remember what room he's in. Gets that, thens up, does the fire alarm, so he knows everyone's got to evacuate. Holds the door in the lift so that he can jump down the lift. He knocks on his door and he knows he's got a reason for him to open the door. He's saying, you've got to evacuate. Yeah. 
It's one of those things, isn't it? You get the feeling De Niro's character has done it all before. Yeah. He's done that before. He's got into a hotel before and he's shot someone before like that. He's got a plan. He knew the plan with the fire alarm. It, it was, it, you know, that is just a cool scene, but he so nearly gets away with it as well, doesn't he? It's that tension of Al Pacino getting out of the helicopter and running up the road and his girlfriend sat in the car looking around I love and he this comes bit. out. He's always said, hasn't he? He says, don't get too close or too attached to anything that you're not prepared to walk away from in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. From the moment he sees his girlfriend, he takes like 12 seconds to register that Vincent's on him and walking up to him and another like 18 seconds to turn and walk away and he takes 30 seconds to leave her and walk away. Very clever. And does it say anything to her? No. So Pacino will never know. Never know they're an item. Never know that anything went on. And he walks away. And the fact, I also thought it was fascinating the way he constructed that everyone was running away from the building and there's one girl in a car. Yeah. Sat looking for someone. Yeah. And he just goes, that's not right. Pacino's that old cop goes, that's not right. That picture doesn't look right. Uh, and then it becomes, the you know, the most, one of the most famous chase sequences at the end over the airport of LAX. Well, it's the last five minutes of the film, isn't it? And there's not there's not a single word of dialogue that's said between them. And De Niro and Pacino, Michael Mann, they were talking about, do we say anything? Is it, you'll never take me alive? Is there any of that? And they said, no, we don't say anything. There's not a single word between us that's muttered. We don't say anything until right at the end. Once those lights come up and light the runway up, that's when, and it's, it's Vincent who doesn't hesitate. He sees the light shift and the shadow and it's turned bang. Yeah. He puts him down and he goes over to him and he says, I said I wasn't going back. And he's obviously talking about prison. And Pacino just says, yeah. Just grabs his hand and just holds on to him. It's almost just like he holds on to him for the end. And it's almost like that was a good match. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. good game. Good game. Yeah, good it game. very much is. But how wonderful to use the natural, what naturally he's got there in that airport. The lights, the noise, the darkness, and then sort of bright light, very much like if you were, you know, in those movies when they have a big uh, searchlight and you're trying to escape, you know, the camp and you've got the searchlight, very much that, in darkness, bright, in darkness, bright. Very clever, really clever. I love that bit. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we will give our ratings for heat. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. 
Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right. Ratings time. I think we'll let one of you two start off. Okay, I'll kick off. Um, I watched this with my girlfriend, and I told her what film... And I've, I've been trying to get her to watch this film for a number of years now, and we've always put it off. Why do you think we've put it off? The running time. The run time. Yeah. And it's, it's a three hour, it's a two hours fifty. It's a big one. So if you're putting a film on at ten... It's a big watch. I mean, I can do it. I can do it. You can do it, Jack. You're trained. I'm trained. You're trained in this. (laughs) But the average person can't stick one on at 10. Technically, it's your job to watch films now. Yeah. So we did. And I said, look, it's come up in the podcast. We have to watch it. I think it's a good opportunity for you to. And she's like, great. Okay, we'll do it. We'll sit out. And as she watched it, she went, I did like it. And I did like the characters. But I don't think it needs to be three hours long. They could have done it in two. It doesn't need to be three hours long. And I said, okay then, if you're so confident it doesn't need to be three hours, give me three films that justify three-hour films. And do you know what she did? With the drop of a hat, she went, Casino, Lord of the Rings, Wolf of Wall Street. And I went, uh, uh, yeah, okay, I, I suppose they do. And I had, no, I had no comeback. They do justify three hours. And I think she does have a point. I'm not sure if it does justify three hours. I think they could have done it in two. We might be hearing very similar stuff when I give my rating here, by the way, just as a heads up. I think it's probably because it's Pacino and De Niro and you want to see them two together. I do love, don't get me wrong, I do love that they're only on screen with each other for 10 minutes of that film. But why is it three hours? I think there's, there is a lot of stories going on that I'm not necessarily sure whether that we need. You know, there's the, the guy who's got out of prison. Yes, there's too much in the middle. And the, the guy who's got out of prison, his girlfriend, you know, uh, he's working in the diner and all that just so that they need an extra guy and a, to be the driver. We see his whole backstory. Do we need to see it? It is nice. Do we need it in the film? But anyway, I am nitpicking because I do love this film. And acting-wise, direction-wise, I'm going to go... I'm going to go eight. Just a solid eight. So, I guess it's going to be similar points to almost what your girlfriend made, Jack, watching it for the first time. Now, I'm going to put it out there straight away. I really do wish that I could have watched this film with one of you two. Because there were times where it... Flagging. And it completely lost me completely lost me yeah I had to explain a lot I found it quite difficult to keep on top of because I think in the three hours there's a fucking lot and it comes at you quickly and there's a lot to sort of work out hang on where have they got this information who's linked to who 
Yeah, yeah. And there was stuff that I just couldn't digest. And there was a whole, there was a whole, I would say, 25 minutes of the film where I completely lost grasp of what was going on. <laughs> it probably doesn't help that I was very hungover after cricket, but there was a whole bit that just threw me and the whole bit of, um, obviously, the character that's in Vegas, the blonde-haired girl that's in hiding... Mm. Like it, it did just throw me a little bit. I know what you mean, but it sort of, it sort of does it in a clever way, where you feel like you're an idiot if you don't know what's going on. <laughs> That's what I found. The bit that I loved was De Niro and Al Pacino, cat and mouse, the chase, the stuff where there's action. I love that. If it's a film that just has the bad guy being chased by the good guy, and the little bits in between, rather than the 20 story strands in the between. Like, maybe then I might have just got that little bit extra out of it. And the other thing I did notice is, a line from this film was stolen in Wolf of Wall Street. When he arrests him in Nevada, he says, who, who? And he goes, who, what are you, a fucking owl? And I was like, that's literally Margot Robbie's line in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, well, Pacino ad-libbed a lot of his lines. You know all that when he goes, because she's got a big ass ad-lib. And you can see behind him, they've all corpsed. You can see the cop behind him just laughing, and then you can see Pacino's laughing in his face. Big to shove it right out of (laughs) you. Yeah. Don't waste my motherfucking time. (laughs) I love it. But no, there was just a lot going on, and I I, I think... at times I found the film overwhelming, but the bits that I understood I did enjoy, and I really enjoyed Pacino, and I really enjoyed De Niro, but the fact that it lost me, I did find it hard. Ben? Oh, I rating? Need to, I need cool. to give it a score. Yeah. yeah. 7.1. Ooh. Where's point one come from? <laughs> I, di- I didn't want you to think that it was a standard set. I wanted you to know it was a low seven. <laughs> it's a low seven, but not not that low. It's It's almost close to a 6.9. It's almost close to seven, which is just a seven. But it's a low seven, 7.1. Ben. Um, Yeah, I've seen this a lot. Mm. And I remember when it first came out, the excitement of seeing De Niro and Pacino on screen together was huge. I get it's baggy in the middle. I do. There are certain bits of the story which I feel... Uh, I think sometimes the De Niro bit where he meets that girl in the bookshop and whatever. I didn't mind that. What I didn't mind was when it was a complete parallel of you meeting De Niro and seeing it in his... Like, I fucking love that scene where De Niro's wife has slept with that guy and he is sat on the sofa and she's obviously trying to wind him up. And he goes, yeah, I'm annoyed. Yeah, I'm really annoyed. You can sleep with my wife, but you can't sit and watch my television set. And like that, I loved and I, I just really enjoyed seeing... De Niro, Pacino, De Niro, Pacino, and how their lives kind of interlock. So I, I didn't mind the De Niro caught in kind of stuff. Mm. It's it's a once in a lifetime film. Michael Mann is only going to make this film with De Niro, Pacino, and everything that comes with it. I think his shots are incredible. I think the way he shoots very wide, but then if you notice how much of it is very close, is shot beautifully close like it must be 35 mil because some of the shots are just 
extraordinary. They look so beautiful and fluid, and you get that real feeling of LA. I think it's. I think there's a couple of films in there. There's a bank robbery heist kind of chase film, and then there's a relationship film in there. I'm not quite sure whether they tie up and merge successfully. I think they're both valid, but whether they hold in one film, I'm not quite sure. There are definite times where I feel I felt less inclined to know about certain of the stories than I did the others. But I do think, as a piece of filmmaking, that end scene is just an extraordinary piece of cinema. You're running across a fucking runway about to be killed and the lights are on and off. Um, I think it's a big film of cinema. I really do. I'm going to give it um, 8.5. 8. 8.5, 7.1 and 8. 23.6. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. When we've watched other like actiony films recently, like is it a better film than Face Off? Yes. Yeah, but Face Off is the film that you're half looking for because that's just pure action. Yeah. Yeah. There is no backstory. And I think that, that it's a very hard balance because actually what we've talked about is the bits of backstory we do like. Yeah. And it does flesh out the characters. I think if you just had Pacino and you just had De Niro and they're just chasing each other, you go, it was all right. But you need that you need that backstory to the characters to feel something. And that's what... It's pretty extraordinary that one director can do both of those films. Yeah, yeah. And sustain it. He can do a huge fucking car chase and shootout and then do beautiful scenes where two actors just talk to each other. Yeah. It's not easy to do. Yeah. Not easy at all. Can you imagine being on that set, though, when then two... Then two come down. I mean... It's Hollywood gold, and you were there, and you went, wow. I mean, Pacino and De Niro are on set today, and they're just acting it out and just workshopping the whole scene. And all the director said is, I'm just going to run one camera and one camera, and you do what you need to. I'll see you at the end. Interesting. A big piece of cinema for us to have covered on Sofa Cinema Club. And there are only three episodes left now in this series. There's only three more reviews after today. But before we find out what is my last pick of the series. I guess it's time for... Jack's Hidden Gem of the the Week. week. I went high. I went high there. Uh, Gem this week, we're going series. Interesting. Now, this is on Amazon. It's quite new. Mm. It's quite big. Mm. It's Nicole Kidman. Uh, this is what I thought was White Lotus originally, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of people do. And it's sort of similar. It's Nine Perfect Strangers. That's the one. And it's like a health farm. Yep. And people are there for like a retreat, like a holiday. Um, they're there for like a six-week course, something like that. So it's the same sort of vibe to White Lotus, but they're there to sort of get better. They've got some sort of addiction, some sort of problem, some counselling they need, and there's just more to it than meets the eye. And there seems to be some sort of greater plan that Nicole Kidman has over the nine perfect strangers that are there. I think there's eight episodes in the series. Are they all out now? Yes, I think the last one comes out this week. 
Oh, so they do them rather than a binge watch. It's a weekly. It was Amazon made a big deal of this when it came out. So it was one at a time. That's why I've not gone to watch it yet. Because I kind of, in protest, wait until it's available to binge watch. In protest? Watch. Did they re- recognise your protest? I bet they were livid, Colson. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> Colson! Which one? No, Colson, you know, the, not the other one, the rapper. <laughs> the one in Corey, he's not watching it. So yeah, the gem this week, you can catch it on Amazon, as I've said, Nine Perfect Strangers. Give it a watch, very good. Me and Bennett, we're in the old White Lotus, by the way. It's not as good as White Lotus, in my opinion. Well, we're only three episodes in, aren't we? But we've 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 checked into the White Lotus and we're, we're on the way. It's Stifler's mum for me. She's brilliant. I'm all over the uh, hotel manager. Very good. Very well done. Very well written. Next week, my last pick of series four. Whoosh! This is going to be. This big. is going to be an absolute biggie shit here. Shit fest. It's going to be a fucking shit. It's going to be a chicken shit fest. <laughs> we have come quite a long way. This podcast started off with Hannah Montana the movie. This series started off with High School Musical. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I, I, you know, I flirted with the idea of I've, I picked a few sequels. I could have even picked a few trilogies in this series, but I've, I've kept well behaved. But the film that I'm actually going to pick is a film that I remembered recently. It was actually whilst watching Heat. I kind of thought, what, what was the action film that I really, really enjoyed as a kid? And it was a film that came out that I went to see in the cinema. And I was intrigued to find out how it was received because in my head it was amazing. And my dad bought me it on Blu-ray. God, this is a big fucking builder. My dad bought me it on Blu-ray and I watched and watched and watched and watched and watched it. And I went on to IMDb to see what people had said about it. What's the rating? And it it upset me. Let's put it that way. It upset me. So I thought, no, Colson. Let's show the world that it is a good film. Let's pick it on your podcast so that not just Jack and Ben, but the other tens of thousands of people can appreciate it as well. Mm. And next week's film, for one last time this series, is Vantage Point. Oh, it's shit. (laughs) It's not shit. It's good. Vantage Point. It's good. It's not shit. It's good. What's Vantage Point? It's good. It's an action film from different people's perspectives. It's the same thing happening over and over again. Yes. Oh my God, it looks shit. (laughs) (laughs) I've just seen a poster. Oh my God, it looks absolutely shit. (laughs) Colson teed this up that it's like... It's like heat. <laughs> it's lo- and I was thinking, what's an action film that's really changed the scene, the cinema scene? <laughs> Vantage point. Oh my god, Colson. Oh my god. Well, as you can tell, next week we're in for a corker of an app. <laughs> and if you want to keep in touch with us between now and then, you can do on social media at Sofa Cinema Club on Twitter and Instagram. And remember, you can catch us on Monday for Sofa Cinema Club Extraterrestrial. And we will see you back here next week on Thursday. Oh, I hope we see them back. I hope we fucking see them. They might not because come back. Because of course you want to know what we all think of Vantage Point. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week. Good night. God bless. Bye-bye. Good night. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.